Um, I want to jump right in this morning. I've got about five hours of content here. Uh, yeah. And um, so I, I want to read one of the verses from the New Testament more as the chance to just get started. But also we started actually two or three weeks ago when we talked about thankfulness. And this is the continuation. And so there might yet be a continuation to this. So something will probably overlap, and you'll say, I heard that before, you did, but now we're going on with that. But it's in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk or your manner of life, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, that is, this is how to be wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on and says, don't drown your sorrows in alcohol. And everybody quotes that as, as you know, you can't drink wine because Paul said that. Uh, the trouble is, it isn't what Paul said. He said that plus something else. And usually the people that are so adamant that Paul says don't be drunk with wine totally are the contradiction of what he said afterward because he said don't be drunk with wine, that is, don't be foolish, don't drown your sorrows in alcohol, but he didn't just say don't drink. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. And so if you're going to use this verse for anything, don't use it to be anti-alcohol, but pro being filled with the Spirit. That's, that's what it's about. And he has said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So he says, your life... As a wise person living in the darkness of this world is a person that is overflowing, and you could use the term um, drunk in the Holy Spirit, so that you see through the eyes of God and your life is full of praise. But before I really start, let's read that from the Amplified Version, and that can bring out some of that more powerfully. So the Amplified Translation, look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people, making the very most of the time, buying up every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be vague, thoughtless, foolish. Understand, firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. And then don't be drunk with wine, but ever be filled, stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Speak out to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, offering praise with voice and instruments, making melody with all your heart to the Lord at all times, and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise, praise, praise. That, he said, is the lifestyle. Notice that. That word walk is, is much better understood as lifestyle. 
Um, I think our friends in Australia have a walkabout. And a walkabout is just not a few steps. It is a big walk. And um, that's more how it's used in the New Testament. Your, your walk, your lifestyle, where you go. In fact, it's got within it the idea of walking around. So it's not necessarily going anywhere. It's just you go to this store, you go to that store, you go to the other store, you do this, you do that. It's walking around your lifestyle. It said, be filled with praise and thanks to God. That is wisdom. That's not being foolish. That's making the best of every second in this evil world. Praise and thanksgiving, it's a subject that fills the whole Bible. You cannot say that about everything. There are some things limited to the Old Testament and should stay there. Other things are limited to the New Testament because they came in Jesus. But praise and thanksgiving covers the entire Bible. It is there from the beginning. So what is praise? Um, We've got to really get this. In fact, if you get this, we could go home and do the other four hours later. But what is praise? Praise, giving thanks, is a bloodless offering. You read in the Psalms of a sacrifice of praise. And you hear many people say, that's praising God when you don't feel like it. So it's a sacrifice. Oh, please. Somebody go and understand the Bible. A sacrifice of praise was an offering. It was something you gave to God as a sacrifice, but there's no lamb being slain, and there's no bull being slain. It's bloodless. It's In fact, in Hebrews 13, it calls it the, the young bulls of your lips. It says that your, your sacrifice, the, what you're sacrificing is in your lips, in the sound of your voice, and it's a sacrifice of praise. And so you've got all the sacrifices of the Old Testament that are full of bloodshed, but this one is full of words. You, you use your words, you use your whole um, voice box in order to give praise to God. It's bloodless. And, and it's not like English. When we say thank you, it means normally that you've done something for me, and, and I would say thank you. The Hebrew doesn't have that. They're, they're equal to that would be, I bless you. But when you say give thanks, it's not talking about what God has done for us. It's talking about him. I am giving thanks to God because he's God. And what a God. I'm giving thanks over against all the other possibilities, all the other definitions. And I am saying, oh, Lord, how great you are. There, um, you, you are great among all the gods, and you are different to every other religion in the world. You are the only God, and all the others are miserable counterfeits. You're thanking God for who he is, and that he alone is our salvation. Without any help from us, without any help from anything, God is God, Savior, lover, good, there is no other. Okay. That's the New Testament. But if you go back into the Old Testament, where the sacrifice of the pagans, and it's a disgusting subject. Um, it's um, Archaeology has taught us exactly what they did. You see, 
and you hear this, the pagan offered their firstborn as a sacrifice to God. That seems unspeakable to us, and it is. But if you understand what happened in all those ancient cities, uh, Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham came from, was dedicated. The whole city was a temple to the gods of the moon and stars. And, and they would take their firstborn and sacrifice them on the high pyramids within the city. And, and the, the parents would give their children with feeling the honor of it, that I can actually sacrifice my child. And um, that was the way it was. If you go, uh, if you ever go to Cancun, go across to Chinsanita, where that was the great temple of the Mayan. And you'll see there, uh, have you seen, there's that deep well there where they would take the prince, the beloved prince uh, of, of the royal family. They would load him down with precious stones and take him to the edge of the well and he, they're sending him to the gods as our most precious possession. We're giving him to you and push him into the well. And there's probably a trillion dollar down at the bottom of that well of all the jewelry they sent to the gods on the one they offered. Um, if you go into the Incas, um, other tribes of South America, you'll find this. In fact, it was in the reading that, that Andrew had there. He says, and it, it's not so plain in your regular version. I will look unto the mountains from whence cometh my strength. My strength comes from the Lord. I've seen that on, on refrigerators. Um, uh, you know, uh, I will look unto the mountains from whence. No, that's exactly what that verse is saying. The, the pagans looked at the mountains where they'd sacrificed all their children. And the mountains, their mountains were that I'm closer to the gods. And I take my most precious, my hope, all the expectancy of my future, my very life wrapped up in my firstborn, and I give it to the gods. Uh, and he says in that psalm, do you think I'm stupid looking to the mountains and the gods? My strength comes from the Lord who made the mountains. You see, that's what he's saying. Um, and, and so the New Old Testament, the story of Israel beginning in Abraham, introduced something so radically new. Because whether you are in the near Middle East, whether you're in South America, go back to those days and you will find infant sacrifice, young men sacrifice, the sacrifice of princes and princesses because they were the preciousness of the realm. And all the people saying yes to that, that is, that is right, it's what to do. No parent was ever allowed to weep at the death of their son in that. But then when religion, and I've got to be careful how I say this, but um, religion, there was an evolution of religion. We, we don't sacrifice children anymore. Of course we don't. No. But you go, especially to South America, the firstborn son is expected to be given to God as a priest, as a, into ministry. It's a, and, and I, I've been with those families that it's, I mean, it's just expected. There's no call of God. It is, you're the firstborn. We give you to God. If you're a, a woman, you are given as a nun into the convent. It's a, you, you've got to be given. 
you don't belong to me. And among others, as I traveled the mission fields uh, of the world back in the 70s and 80s, I I found I don't know how many missionaries that had been expected by their parents, we're sending you as a missionary, we're we're giving you to God. And, And the missionary sent was in that same mood. I, I, this is special. I'm being given to God to go and minister in Africa. And when they got there, oh, yikes. The most miserable people I've ever met on the earth. They had no right to be missionaries because they thought they, thought they were doing something special and God was now going to be pleased with them. And now they hate the sight of the jungle. They despise the language of the people, can't stand the food, can't stand the mosquitoes, hate the bugs, I want to go home. And I went around giving out tickets, get home, you don't belong here. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I was raised with that. Uh, especially for teenagers, come and know, give your life to Jesus for whatever he wants to do with you and all we thought so special. No, that's pagan. Do you realize? We, we don't kill anybody anymore. We just send them off and believe that, that that's the right thing to do. do you re- I don't think we understand the radical newness that came right back there in Genesis as the light just began to dawn. And the first rays of dawn was right in this area. God doesn't want you to sacrifice anything anymore. That, well, I can't give an illustration. We've got nothing like it today. But it, but it would take out of a people their very core. It's the very heart. This is how they lived. This is how they thought. And God said, I don't want it. It's not me. Um, I wasn't going to give this, but I will. Just to illustrate. Abraham, you see, came out of Ur. People don't think about that. Abraham didn't read his Bible and pray. God came to him as a pagan worshiper of the moon gods. And he's got to learn how that is all wrong. Not just a bit of it. It's all wrong. But it's in his head. And so one day the Lord says, take now your son, your only son, the son whom you love. That is, he's twisting the knife, the very best you have, the one in all hopes and all promises have found their focus. Now take him and sacrifice him to me. Have you ever wondered why Abraham didn't blink? He said, okay. I mean, that's not normal. Didn't argue at all. Why? Because he came from Ur where you did that all the time. Every eldest son expected that. Every father was waiting for the day when the priest would knock on the door and say, we're taking your son. And they did it with, without a tear. It was the way it was. That's the cruelty of religion. And so when God said that, Abraham took his son. He did. I, I won't try and get into his head. I'm not trying to prove that right now. He believed God's promises would be kept even though his son is going to die. And he goes to the mountain. Interestingly, that became the very place where Jesus died. But he took him there. 
And Isaac was not a little baby boy like all the artists say in their pictures. He was a strapping 20, 30-year-old. But he knew what it was about. And they come there. Abraham ties the boy. I mean, a 30-year-old could fight off an old man. But he doesn't. He's been given to the God. And Abraham is about to kill him. And that's when the Lord said, okay, stop. Have you learned something, Abraham? This isn't my way. It's not my way. I don't do this. I give myself as an offering. And you, you can find my gift to you in the, in the bush behind you. There's a goat. That one chapter 20, what is it, 22 of Genesis, that is the most radical. Did, did you, do you want to hear what I'm saying? God let him go right up to it. He went along and played the game. And just as Abraham is going to do what he'd been taught to do all his life, God says, no, you have come to something so radically different. You don't have to please God. God's pleasure is to give himself to you. You don't have to take your highest, your best, your precious, your beautiful, and say, I give it to God. God says, no, I give myself to you. That's the newness of the new sacrifice. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament were God's gift to the people, not the people's gift to God. But at the highest peak of all the sacrifices was the sacrifice of praise, where you didn't even kill an animal. You just brought your mouth and your voice box to give praise to God. He gave himself. God gave himself. Have we ever really got it? I don't believe so, because all the churches I hear is, you give something to God. He says, no, I, I give to you. He's the perfect offering. He gives himself. And whatever it is that you give, in the pagan sense, that you trusted. You trusted that that firstborn is going to please God. You trusted the prince or the princess would carry to the gods, and the gods would be happy. God says, I am my own sacrifice. I give myself to you. You trust in me. And that's the foundation of trust. Trust isn't just a feeling you have. Trust is that I trust God, that in his goodness and in his love, he'll deal with my problems. I don't have to take my best and give it to God and hope I've given enough to buy his presence. I trust him. I trust God's word, not something is precious to me that I'm giving to him. I trust his word. And in trusting him, I accept it. Not on one jolly thing I've done. Nothing I've given. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I am accepted because God himself is the one that gives himself. He is my acceptance. He's my righteousness of bringing me face to face with him. He's my peace. And believe me, that is peace. Because any time you get your fingers involved in giving something to God, 
in expecting now I'll be accepted, now things will go my way. You have plunged into an ocean in turmoil. You've got yourself into the middle of a tornado of religious anxiety. Was it enough? Was it enough? Is the God still angry with me? Was it enough? Maybe you got something else to give on Wednesday. And so what you thought was the end on Sunday carries on to Wednesday and next and forever. I'm always in this turmoil of anxiety and pastors who haven't ever understood the gospel only fuel that and make you feel unworthy. Whereas we have the unbelievable the most incredible fact God said, I'm the only sacrifice. I provide myself. Now, once you trust, it's unearthly. There's no, I can't get a definition from a dictionary. It's an unearthly acceptance. An assurance that can never be shaken any more than God can be shaken. Because it's his peace, joy, righteousness in the Holy Spirit. So, in every circumstance, this is not a crisis. This is in every circumstance of life. Check, check your thoughts. Check your prayers. You get in some mind, even in a traffic jam. Um, and, and what rises in so many believers I know it rises, you know, uh, I'll do this, get me out of this. I promise you this, I promise you that. I'll double my tithes. I'll visit the sick. I'll do anything. Just Our first approach in the Western church is what do I have to do to move God to help me? What do I have to do to make God smile at me? What do I have to do? The moment you move from that pagan thinking, we kill, we crucify every idea that we must convince God to be for us. Can, can you get this? Just the very idea that sneaks into our head that I've got to do something to make God be for me is crucified when I will offer praise. I will praise God that God is God, that God is his love and God is his goodness and God gives himself to us. Or to put it this way, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what do I see? Jesus washing our feet. That's God. God washes the feet of his creation, giving himself totally to us. Praise that just revels in this God who is infinitely for us. Now maybe we understand when Paul was giving that list in Romans 1 of the entrance of sin and what sin did. And it's very strange, most times we just read over it quickly. But almost the first thing on the list of what sin caused, it says they, they stopped being thankful. The very first thing on the list, when sin enters, you stop being thankful. That is thankful for who God is. I might thank him for his gifts because he did what I wanted him to do. 
And if I praise him, then I'll get more. But you see, that's that's how the twisting of the flesh, because I've been in whole movements that believe if you praise God enough, you'll make him do what you want. Well, you've taken the very essence, this golden glory of who God is, and we've twisted it to turn it into a legalistic formula. Now, I mean just out of our fullness heart, that the spilling over of wonder, we thank God for who he is, and we never quit. For in every little detail of life, micro or macro, it doesn't matter whether this is something that happens in the kitchen or happens in the nation, we look straight through to God. I don't have to send my best, my hopes, my expectations, my dreams to God and hoping that will be enough. I can sit back and say thank you that you are God, you are good, you cannot change, and you are now for me as you've always been for me. So being thankful, this lifestyle of praise is a response. I don't start it. I don't initiate. I don't say I've got a problem, I better praise God, make sure I get out of this. No, My thanks to God is a response to who he is, whether at this moment I'm feeling it or not. He is good. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is agape, love. He has made covenant in the blood of Jesus, therefore loving kindness and faithfulness are sealed in the blood. He himself has opened the pathways of relationship. My praise is to walk in those pathways. My praise and thanks to God is to recognize that's the way it is. And so thanksgiving is focused on the Trinity himself, not on the gifts that he pours upon us. We're thanking him. That is the way he is. It's not a formula to make him do something or to stop him doing something. I trust him. Whatever he does is good because God is good. Whatever way it goes, God is good. So so thanking, thanksgiving and, and praise is a surrender to him in the sense of I surrender this situation. I surrender my life right now. I surrender it to him. Instead of surrendering to the darkness which always produces complaint and fear and anxiety. I thank him for who he is. Instead of searching for something I have to do to be assured that he's on my side. You do get what I'm saying here? It's, put it like this, life, my life has an accent. I don't mean my speech. I know I've got an accent. Well, you had the accent. I've got the original. But um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way we live, the way we respond, in the smallest details, because that's where the big thing shows up. And it doesn't matter what we say. The accent comes through. You know, I, I told you last time I was here, um, about when my father came. Do you remember 
came in the grocery store and he was talking to me. And um, the teller looked up and says, which part of London do you come from? And my father looked puzzled. He said, how do you know I come from London? You know, yeah. Thy speech betrays thee. It's, we've got an accent and we're not aware of it. And that either we are living with the accent of law, which is paganism, or we're living with the accent of the spirit, which is freedom, which is praise. And you don't realize it. I, I, I must emphasize that. You don't realize it. It's just the way you talk about things. Thy speech betrayeth thee. It's a person walks through your life, and by the time they go through, you feel there's been oppression. They're complaining. They complain about everything. You, you, for darkness, your speech betrays you. You're angry with God. You should have done a better job than this. I don't think much of how you've made Tuesday. You know, let's move on to Wednesday. It's, your speech betrays you. You haven't seen what I'm saying. Because if God is good, it means that whatever this day is handing us, God is good. And it means that God is for me and God is with me. I don't feel it. I don't see it because the day is pretty bad and it's pressuring me. But I begin to speak praise. And it begins in my thoughts where I'm thinking about today. I respond with God is good. And it comes out of our lips in the way we talk about it, which makes it spontaneous and we don't realize what we're doing. Yeah. So the thankless prayer is always centered on the problem. You know that. We've been to prayer meetings and it's a recitation of everything that's wrong. We call it a prayer meeting. You tell, you know... Pray for brother so-and-so, he's got this problem. You didn't hear about it? Well, let me tell you. And the problem makes the prayer meeting into a gossip party. Because that's not prayer. It's not prayer. Prayer does not focus on the problem. Prayer doesn't focus on the poverty that we don't have. We don't have, no. Thankfulness is that we address the problem with almost a, a non-saying. He knows what it is. But we're, we're speaking to him who is the wealth of love and the wealth of power and the totality of all answers I need are present in him, and he's here. You notice when Andrew is um, leading us in the Eucharist, and we are praying for the sick, and he says, we give thanks and lists the people, because we are giving, what are we going to do? Whine, plead, complain? No, it's done, it's finished. God has given himself to us in Christ. End of six. So we give thanks. Yeah. Life, okay, according to what we read here, knowing what the will of the Lord is. So all this talk about being wise and not foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is, is the canvas on which this is painted. The will of God, that's another thing you know as well as I do, has become the obsession 
of so many people that they've got to know the will of God, got to know the will of God. Oh, for goodness sake. The will of God, that they mean they've got to, there's a place I should be. There's a job I should have. No, the will of God isn't. Have you ever prayed and say, should I do this? And the Lord says, if you want to. I mean, it's, we, we, we are not robots. We've not been programmed. We're not animals with instincts. We, we are made in the image of God. And he, well, that's another subject. But um, the, the will of God is right here. See, it's the will of God that I'm here talking to you this morning. It's the will of God you're here listening. And it's the will of God when you go for lunch and you talk, you're in the will of God. The will of God is a now, now. Clint said it very well last week. We, we live now in this moment. This, this. And so in this moment, you see, that's what we don't want to face. It's much easier to say, God has called me to Timbuktu. Well, I, I can live now for the next six months. I'm Timbuktu. I made the decision. I'm, I'm going in the will of God right now. This is nothing. I'm a good grief. Bandera. Who cares about Bandera? I'm going to Timbuktu. No, the fact is, whether you're here or in Timbuktu, the will of God is minute by minute by minute. What I'm now facing, and these verses we read say, I face this moment with thankfulness and praise. Yes. That's the will of God, whether you're in Africa, China, or Bandera. Go as a missionary, you'll be the most miserable person on earth, because you thought that was the will of God. But the will of God is here, facing me right now. Yes. People, you, me, connecting, talking, conversing, praying for each other. That's the will of God right now. Or whether you're in your job, sitting at the desk, or whatever you do, that's the will of God right now. Right there to be a person that is continually, there's a, a silent, yes, I don't expect you to sit at your desk and shout praise to God. I, I expect you to be there, but rising within you there is silent praise to God in everything and every person you face. That, that, that is, the love of God is right here, in me, with me, ahead of me, behind me, and I'm here to give that to you. So when I face temptation, essentially we ignore the sucking of the flesh, which is to say, draw upon your own will. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I promise you, God, I promise you, God, I'm not going to do this. Ignore it. That's the flesh. We confess, rather, with great joy, our absolute weakness. Now, of course, in many areas, that one would be ashamed to do that. But the scripture's full of it. We confess our weakness. And we take to ourselves what is ours, the mind of Christ. And in those moments, it is a, it's a blessed insanity. Here am I being faced with something that my flesh would respond to. And I ignore it and with joy confess my weakness and trust that in this moment this incredible God is giving himself to me yes. 
to be my strength. See, what the flesh wants to do is take my idiot strength and offer it to God and say, I promise you, I won't do that. I won't do that. I promise you, I won't do that. And we're giving our flesh pagan sacrifice. We settle into our weakness and we take from the God who is ever giving himself to us. And we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We say, in my weakness is my strength. Do you follow me? And so it changes everything, you see. David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. So it's not not happened yet. He's saying, but when the day comes that I'm afraid, I've already got that settled. I will trust in you. I will not retreat into my flesh to say, we're going to handle this, we're going to handle this. When I'm afraid, well, I'm afraid. I don't have a problem with that because I'm a weak human by myself. But I will retreat into saying, I will trust in you. Settled. That's the, that's the path where I'm taking. And, of course, the I mean, it's classic. Uh, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me or for me. Now, that means it hadn't happened. He has not yet walked in the valley of the shadow of death. We're not sure that he ever will. But he said, if, the day, if, if, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I've already got settled. I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. I will fear no evil. You are with me. Let, let me say this. This isn't just theory that I'm talking about. Giving praise to God actually changes the structure of the spirit world. It also changes the atomic, the quantum world, and all human action. There's a story, and you you must know it, at least by hearsay, uh, in 2 Chronicles 20, one of the most amazing stories in the Old Testament. And the king was Jehoshaphat. And the, the background is neither here nor there. He was left in Jerusalem with only a few of his army. They were elsewhere. And he gets news from some spies that all his worst enemies had decided to make a peace pact between themselves and focus on him. So all his worst enemies are coming toward him. And they were coming in a way that was actually impossible. If you read in Chronicles 20, they they were coming by the way of cliffs. And if you get a map and understand the geography of Israel, they they were almost, I mean, you've got to be a, a fly to walk up those cliffs. And no one ever went that way. You would never bother to defend yourself that way. It was impossible. Well, all of the enemies of Jehoshaphat had come, and they found a way to climb up those cliffs. So they're coming at Jehoshaphat. He doesn't even know it, but for the one person who came with the message. And it says when he got the message, he was afraid. 
Good. Thank you for sharing that. I feel better now. He's a real man. What does he do with, with, with his fear? What he does is call the people together. And so it says that they all came to Jerusalem and says there were mothers and children and um, they're all looking at the king. What do we do? The, the, these people are murderers, thugs. They're, they're not coming to make a peace treaty. They're coming to wipe us off the face of the earth. So what do we do? And Jehoshaphat sort of said, yeah, what do we do? And so he prays. It's one of the greatest prayers in the Old Testament where he declares the covenant with Abraham and declares the isness of God in this moment. And he ends it by saying, we do not know what to do. It's a marvelous way to end a prayer. We do not know what to do. We're stumped. But our eyes are on you. That's the essence of thanks to God. That's praise. I don't know what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. But my eyes are upon you. I expect you to lead and take the guide here because we don't know what to do. But because you are the kind of God you are, I know you are for us and I know you are with us and I know that you are, and so on. And he prays that. And after he had prayed, there came the word of the Lord through the prophet. And he quoted from Deuteronomy 20 which says, relax, the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. That is, I require nothing of you, just simmer down. It's okay. I've got this. The battle is the Lord's. The Lord is giving himself to you as your protection. He's giving himself to you as your shield. So relax. Do you realize if Jehoshaphat had been a pagan king, such as all the nations around him were, he would have sacrificed his firstborn son. This was a crisis. I need help. Kill my son. Make the gods pleased with me. And you don't get it because we, we think of Jehoshaphat as someone that would go to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. But he, he's in the middle of that pagan darkness. He doesn't sacrifice his son. He looks at God and said, I know you're with us. And I know you're handling this. That, that's praise, you see. To the point, and again, we miss it. We read it too fast. It doesn't make any sense. Or we just move over it. That they went to sleep that night. That, could you sleep if you knew every enemy you ever had in, their, in your life had made a pact to come and get you? And you say, okay. He says, he's looking after us. Uh, see you in the morning. Have a good night. Uh, I mean, you could say that every snore in, in Jerusalem was an act of thanksgiving to God. And they get up in the morning, and the Lord says, now you go and face them. I'm going to do this. This is my battle. But I want to involve you in some way. So how are you going to go? Well, seeing as it isn't our battle, he put the choir of the temple in front. 
And they began to sing praise to God, speaking specifically that God is the God of covenant and loving kindness, and he is with us now. That's so easy to say. Until you're one of the choir members. <laughs> you know. But what is it saying? It is saying that placing these Levites, the choir members, in the front of the army, and the the first thing they had to do and continue doing was to give praise to God. That indicates I don't think it takes a you know atomic scientist to understand it. It meant that the the belief system that they operated under was that praise was the most powerful weapon in the universe. And I believe that although God said this is my battle, he wanted them to be in the place which the only place that humankind can take. All I can do is give him thanks. All I can is praise. He is going to be himself. He's going to give himself to us. I can't add to that. But I can declare into the very atmosphere, into the spirit world, this is who he is. It's it's like stamping your foot and saying, enough, this is who God is. That's the way it's going to be. I don't know if you saw Lord of the Rings. Um, I, I can't remember much about it. But um, the one there where Gandalf is facing the demon and, you know, puts his hand, enough, you don't come one foot further. Mm-hmm. And... As soon as I saw that, I thought of this, that my praise to God in the, in the darkness says, enough! The greatest force on earth is with us. And it says, it says, first of all, 1 Chronicles 20, that they went and they sang, give thanks to the Lord, his loving kindness, his covenant love is everlasting or in every moment I live. And it says, and the, from the day I first read this, I get goosebumps every time I look at it. It says, when, when the song of the Lord began, then the whole host that was coming toward them fell into disarray. It, 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 so, you know, none of them liked each other, but they'd made this pact in order to get Jehoshaphat. And suddenly, when, when, and it wasn't that they could hear. This army of singers is over here in Jerusalem, and they were way over here. So there's no, they didn't hear it. But it says, the moment the song of the Lord began, then the, the whole army fell apart over there. They began to remember, I hate him. I should kill him. And... And the other suggestion is that they got confused as to who was who. And the armies are coming against are now fighting each other. Praise, giving thanks to God, I say again, had an impact 
a massive impact upon the thoughts of people that weren't there. It, it caused chaos in the very atomic world that makes us do things and be. When the song of the Lord began, then their praise brought the total collapse, the total disintegration of the darkness. And all they were were a group of weak, helpless humans who were praising God in the face of the enemy. When they gave thanks to God, they were declaring his ownership of this situation. They were saying, you don't own this day. God, who is our God, for us, the most powerful, effective weapon, it was placing the flag, if you... That they're coming to say, this is now going to become our territory, and they put down the flag and says, no way. You don't come one step further because God is limitlessly with us. Do, do, do you get this? Okay, try this one. Um, do you remember toward the end of the week before Jesus was crucified he'd come into well at the beginning of the week he came into Jerusalem and remember they shouted Hosanna to the son of David and call it Palm Sunday and he goes into the temple I'm, I'm leaving the details but he goes into the temple well <clears throat> you know after a big parade uh, the kids are everywhere and and so they're in the temple, and the, the kids, little kids, who had been at the parade, now their parents are in the temple, and Jesus is there, and he heals the sick, and he, he's teaching, and the kids are running through the temple courts and corridors, uh, and they're playing the game. I can't, I'm not going to make these kids into adults. They, they, they were playing the game and saying, you know, Hosanna to the son of David. And probably got one of the kids was riding on a broomstick. And, you know, it's, you know, how kids play. And they're running, Hosanna to the son of David. And um, so when the Pharisees heard that, they were indignant, came to Jesus. They Do, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked. Oh, yes, replied Jesus. Sure do. Have you, have you never read? I thought you guys knew the Bible. Have you, have you never read? And he quotes from Psalm 8. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And that word praise in the Hebrew was translated strength back in Psalm 8. Jesus is quoting from the Septuagint version, which was translated into Greek. The word is um, that the praise is strength. And, and so it can, can go either way. And the Hebrew translated it strength, Septuagint praise. But the word means 
that you have come to a place of tremendous strength through praise. Um, So in Psalm 8, it says, this is what Jesus was quoting, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Um, The message, paraphrase, says, nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. Um, Well, I mean, get get the picture. The the thing that... So I want to emphasize, I think it's pretty obvious, the children shouting in the temple were children. The, the words there is babes, nursing, babes, uh, toddlers, kind of a bit above that was running through the temple shouting about the son of David. Um, well, what's it, what's it telling us? Babes, toddlers, children. It's amazing how many times Jesus said, except you become as a little child. He said it enough times that you better believe that if you're going to understand the gospel, you've got to become as a little child. Adults don't get it. Um, Children, they're carefree. Spontaneous. They they don't sit down and say, let's have a map of the plan that we're going to play today. They just go for it. And they're spontaneous in playing with each other. They never try to figure out why just is. They seem to have an assurance of acceptance that there's no mention of what must I do. When you say you're going to take them to Disney World or whatever, they never say, do we have the money for that? <laughs> they, they never say, you know, the, the most devilish thing that ever happened in America was Santa Claus that took that away from children to say that he only gives to good little boys and girls. Because little boys and girls don't think like that. They know they're accepted. They know they're loved. I would say that metanoia, you know, that word translated by the unspeakable word of repentance, metanoia, that blaze of light in your mind, that change of mind, I believe the metanoia is the acceptance of the child mind of Jesus. The mind of Christ is the mind of a child. Not childish, childlike. Which is a definitive rejection of the adult pagan mind. Children never came up with human sacrifice. Adults did. Do you you follow Um, if you're going to really know the Holy Trinity, you have to have a child mind. Because Jesus did. So our adult mind won't fit his mind. We've got to have metanoia for his mind to fit into us. Mm -hmm. Only the child mind can trust and embrace 
the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with us. Children are looked upon in much society as weak, and they're just kids, just kids. Foolish. So many times they do foolish things, and we don't even bother to say so. They're kids, you know. They're unnoticed for the most part, certainly if you come from Europe. <laughs> That's the first law of being a child. You learn to be unnoticed. They're not learned yet. So they don't speak from their intellect. They always speak from their heart. That's why they shock you so many times. They have no sense of importance. They just are important. They expect to be listened to when they talk. See, adults, adults have learned pride. You're not born with that. You have to learn to be proud. You've got to live in a certain atmosphere to be intellectual. And you've got to have a scientific explanation of everything. You have to learn how to put on a mask. Because a child doesn't really care what you think. Yeah. You've got to be a stupid adult to be afraid of what you think of me. So I put on a mask that reflects you and what you want me to be. My goodness. Yeah. It, it takes an adult to trust their own strength and, and to compare themselves with others. Children never come home and say, I thank you that I'm not like my next-door neighbor kid. They're too busy playing with them in the street. But adults, we're, we're comparing each other's offering. What I give to God is better than you. Therefore, he loves me more than you. you know. Where we learn to be suspicious of everybody. There's no spontaneity. We're too cautious. And we're so ashamed of ourselves at some deep level that we're constantly trying to cover our unworthiness. Adults. God save us from adults. Another word for adult is Pharisee. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And so it says, it says that praise in the mouth of children which aren't... Why, why were the Pharisees upset? Well, they're taking scripture about the son of David and they're playing games They say, how can you let them say that? They're too young to understand it. I can see the smile on Jesus' face. He says, sure, I heard. Isn't it fun? I heard that. Isn't it strange David spoke about that in Psalm 8? Yeah. You, you don't need to have a degree in theology to praise God. And in fact, as a theologian, if I was an idiot adult, I could say, you don't understand what you're saying, so especially shut up until you do. No. 90% of praise, I don't fully understand what I'm saying. Because you can't learn that in a seminary. See, seminarians never praise God. They're too busy intellectualizing the whole scripture, but from the heart, spontaneous. So... 
I remember, and, and some of you have seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution. Well, my church in Brooklyn was the eastern side of what was happening over there in California. And I had all of the hippies in my church in Brooklyn. And I'll never forget. Uh, see those guys, they came in with no shoes on, with long hair. See the horror on the face of the original congregation. And, and, and I remember there's one occasion as this hippie was on his face. He was weeping and he was praising God. And one of my elders stood there. You know, and he says, I've been in this church all these years and he doesn't know what he's doing. I said, oh, <laughs> I said, you remind me of something. <laughs> Forget it. Was it an elder brother or something? You know, All these years I've slaved. My yeah, that hippie knew about two minutes of life in Christ, but boy, was he responding. You know. and, and, and the other poor fellow spent 30 years intellectualizing the whole thing. Oh, as a, a child praising God, simplicity, almost like playing in the temple courts, you know, let's play Jesus. Well, okay, Jesus seemed to enjoy that. Huh. And he says in Psalm 8, he said, in order, why, did he, why does he do that? Why, why does he allow children to do this? He said, to establish strength. There is the praise and the strength go together. The word there, strength, apart from meaning what I've just said, but it means might. Um, it means victorious power, which God creates for himself out of the praise-filled mouths of children that confess him. <coughs> but I'm trying, it's, it's just a word that needs to talk about it. Um, so it's not just a abstract strength. It, it's, it means strength that's centered like a castle, like a, um, a camp, a military camp. It describes offensive, that's we're moving out to defend. So offensive and defensive power. It's not just passive to defend, it's going out to meet the enemy. But it would really describe then a strong building, like a camp, like a castle. So it could be translated as a fortress, um, a refuge, a fortification. So it means that praise in the mouth of those that have a child mind produces a fortress wherein the power of God goes out to deal with the enemy as well as to defend us from the enemy. Do you get that? So a fortress, a castle that has its foundation in the mouth of babes, in the gurgling as messages, the gurgling children, stammering praise, 
produces in the spirit world a fortress so terrible that the enemies are defeated by it. What I'm trying to say is you don't need theological education to do what this is talking about. You need to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the ultimate of God giving himself to us. And to respond to him with praise. And he says, and this is very good, he did this because of his enemies. He said, the, the enemies, I, I'm going to deal with my enemies, but I need a bunch of children to go out there and just praise and he says, um, I'm going to come against those. And the word enemy is a word which means fierce, uh, frightening. They're opponents specifically of the revelation that God has given of himself. In fact, more than that, they are raging against God. This is not just passive enemies. You can see fists. You can see rage against God. And it says he sent this army of children out that their girdling praises build strong citadels. And he says the result is, and the words here are fantastic, he said to restrain these enemies. The word restrain means to cause someone to sit or lie down and rest, or to put someone to silence. Today, the best illustration would be of when a boxer knocks his opponent out, cold. He lies down, he's silent for sure. He's not going to say anything for a good long while. He's been knocked out cold. Or we would say the knockout punch. What he's saying here, praise in the most illiterate person is a knockout punch. <laughs> you will put the enemy flat on his back and he will lie there and rest there in silence because you've knocked him out. A strong opposing power. Can I, can I imagine it that in my living room giving praise to God in the face of something that otherwise would be so oppressive, destroy my day, destroy my fellowship with God. Instead of being that, I praise him that he's with me, he knows me, and he's doing his love and goodness. And that word that I speak as an unknown believer, produces a citadel of strength and power that actually knocks out the powers of darkness. And that's what God just loves to do. To choose that which otherwise would be obscure. I doubt that anybody knows you exist as a Christian except those who are immediately present to you. No one cares about you. You say, you say, you tell me that. You're, you're foolish. You're, you're weak in the eyes of the world. Well, that's, you, you qualify. That's the people God loves to choose. And I, I'm being, I'm not, you know, trying to 
say so. The Bible says that. God hasn't chosen the noble and the powerful. Chosen the weak and the foolish to condemn the wise. He reveals his glory and overcomes everything that opposes his glory by the likes of everybody who is listening to me right now who have learned the simplicity of just looking at God and saying, this is who you are. You give yourself to us in this moment. And we in Christ take ownership of this, seated in union with him. And one last thing very quickly. Jesus is God. And in the incarnation, God, the Father, gave us his Son. And the Son was part of that choosing to be given. And the Holy Spirit is God and is giving himself to us. And we know that in terms of the cross. But have you ever thought he's giving himself to us second by second? My life, my life is living out the gift of God. Or let let me put it this way. When I praise God, I have come in sync with Christ my life. He is in me praising the Father. He's in me declaring his finished work. And I've, I've come into sync with him. So you could put it like this. We read Christ who is our life. Well, my life takes in everything I've been talking about. So you could read Christ who is my thankfulness. If I feel I'm not strong enough even to give thanks, that's okay. Christ, your life, is your thankfulness. Or we read it the other week where it says, uh, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Um, helps us well how about recognizing that praise is the very heart of prayer we do not know how to praise we don't Mm -hmm. but the spirit takes the other end and prays with us or what about i praise yet it is not i but christ who praises in me and i praise by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me. Recognizing you're not over here doing something that is separate from him in order to make something happen, but rather he has given himself to me and he's in handling the thing, but also handling me, he's my life and therefore my thankfulness at the same time. Well, I'll leave it there. And... May we be made into praising people. Amen, amen. Amen. Take two minutes and Andrew will come and celebrate the Eucharist. As that happens, let me emphasize the word Eucharist is a Greek word. And we use it because the first church spoke Greek and it's come down to us that way. But Eucharist in Greek means the great thanksgiving. All of our thanksgiving is summed up in the Eucharist. And therefore, whenever we celebrate communion, it's the knockout punch to all the powers of darkness. Amen. Amen.